Hello and welcome to Nerds Amalgamated. I'm the professor and my co-host is the DJ. How have you been going, DJ? Oh, it's been good. It's been good. Last day of summer. Yeah, you ready for some cooler weather? Yeah, man. Yeah. I cannot wait for some rain. We need more oh, rain. Uh, we've had tons of rain out here. What we need is a bit more rain over west. It's got to get <laughs> over the uh, over the range. Yeah, I, I, and it's also interesting how uh, today is also the le- leap day. It is the 29th of February, the day that only happens once every four years, excluding years that end in double O and including years that end in double O but are divisible by some amount. This is why programmers hate time. (laughs) I I always thought that programmers hate daylight saving time. That too. (laughs) But it's a bit of a meme that programmers hate time because of how complicated it is and how many rules there are. And then daylight savings. Adelaide's half an hour ahead of Brisbane during daylight savings. Uh, Things get well, a bit weird. Boy, I cannot, I cannot wait to see the de- New Year's Eve. Um, you get you stressing on the computer going, oh, I hate this. <laughs> Not since 2000, luckily. <laughs> Actually, there were some issues with uh, 2020, including... Uh, the 2020, I think it was an NBA game. They messed up, and on at midnight on the first of January, the game shut down. <laughs> oh, I hate yeah. to be the guy that put money on that game. Well, they got it fixed up within a day or two, but still, that's embarrassing. <laughs> Anyway, our first topic for tonight is about a billion-year-old Chinese seaweed. Scientists have discovered a new plant in uh, a new fossil of a plant in China near a town called uh, uh, Surat Town name here earlier, but it's in a province in northern China. The scientific name is Proteroclatus antiquus, and it's a seaweed about the size of a rice grain with numerous thin branches. About a billion years ago, this um, seaweed was one of the first plants to live on Earth, and Proteroclatus and other algae were part of instrumental in producing oxygen before the development of oxygen-breathing life, along with uh, cyanobacteria is another one. Mm-hmm. So the first land plants appeared about 450 million years ago. Uh, the previous record holder was 800 million years old for seaweed. Proteroclatus is 200 million years older than that, so a billion years ago. And then that's about a billion years after the shift from bacteria, single-celled style organisms to eukaryotes, which is the kingdom that includes, uh, sorry, not the kingdom, includes the kingdoms, uh, fungi, plants, and animals. Yeah. So this is the ancestor of all green plants. Not all of them, but some of them. The interesting thing is it's um, individual, well, not individual, it's multicellular. So they're still debating whether uh, there are older single-celled green plants, but photosynthesizing uh, multicellular plants first showed up somewhere around a billion years ago. So actually, they say in the article that Proteroclatus actually belongs to a later species than the the common ancestor between aquatic and land plants. So the common ancestor split to two major branches, Mm. including all aquatic, which is what uh, Proteroclatus belongs to, and some aquatic and all land plants. This is going to be interesting in terms of how um, pl- how plants have su- how plants like this have survived because a billion years old a billion years old. Well, 
it didn't. Mm. Proterocladus is a billion-year-old species, but mm. it, according to the article, it isn't known to live today and has a modern relative, sea lettuce, <laughs> which is apparently edible seaweed. I've never tried eating it, but I've definitely seen it. I, If it's what I'm thinking of, I don't think it would be very good to eat. It's all sort of tough and grassy. <laughs> Maybe they mean edible by, I don't know, dugongs or something? Yeah. Do dugongs eat sea plants? Well, I think a couple of other animals besides dugongs eat sea plants, but... um. Yeah, true, but I'm just thinking of a significant animal. Uh, the dugongs, let's see, what does a dugong eat? Uh, no, I've just seen it. So the Chinese city is Dalian, and this uh, Proterocladus antiquus was one of the largest organisms of the time. Mm-hmm. All right, so a dugong, here we go. Uh, the diet consists mainly of seagrass. Uh, al- although, um, here we go, a wide variety of seagrass has been found in dugong's stomach content and evidence ex- exists they all eat algae when um, sc- seagrass is scarce. Although, um, almost completely herbivorous, they will occasionally eat invertebrates such as jellyfish, sea squirts, and shellfish. And I've hooked up sea lettuce, and it is what I'm thinking of, which um, I was thinking seems to be really hard to collect and eat, but apparently it's eaten raw. Yes, in Scandinavia, Great Britain, Ireland, China, and Japan, it's eaten raw in salad and cooked in soups. Wait a minute, is this um? Oh, maybe this is the sort of plant that there's a kind of seaweed they use in miso. Like, you get chunks of the seaweed put in a miso soup at the Japanese restaurant. Mm-hmm. I wonder if this is the uh, amount of, um, is it, this is the species. Possibly. Yes, second. And it's uh, wakami seaweed. Yeah, okay. So that's the sea. That's the seaweed you find in miso. It is Which edible... is different. Uh, sea lettuce is aosa in Japan. Yeah, yeah. But um, this discovery, wouldn't you say this? Um, this this will be a great. This will be great in terms of okay, we fa- we should explore more in this uh, in the sea for more fossils and and ancient creatures of such. Now I'm going to turn that around. Would you say that? Oh, okay, fair enough. But wait, you reckon this this will this will be a new herald? Well, I wouldn't be surprised if um, if they kept exploring around Dalian because the uh, the area where this this fossil was found is no longer underwater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and plus this will be also interesting in terms of we might have to relook at the whole um, evolutionary. True evolutionary trees and maybe um update yeah. the genomes genome structures. Oh, sorry. You wouldn't have to update the genomes, but um <laughs> you would have to update the evolutionary tree because this proves that multicellular green seaweed has been around for an extra two hundred million years, which isn't all that long, but it's enough to narrow things down a bit. Yeah, yeah, and also we we might have to change textbooks in terms of uh, finding out uh, about pl- about the process of how plants um survive like for example for um as the article was saying that plants were not the first to practice photosynthesis yeah that's been known for a long time yeah uh cyanobacteria especially is um actually i might have misspoken earlier cyanobacteria might be earlier than this but probably is uh cyanobacteria is a bacteria from billions of years ago that is um, was the catalyst for the oxygen exp- explosion. So before cyanobacteria, most things were weren't metabolizing oxygen. Cyanobacteria produced tons of oxygen, which turns out cyanobacteria is 
considers that a waste product, that it's bad for it, but it set the groundwork for every oxygen metabolizing creature on Earth. Yeah. It's, the, it's called the uh, oxygen crisis. Huh. Because the uh, the huge amount of oxygen, like the the boom in oxygen levels, actually wiped out a bunch of life. Wait, so I thought the, it was I I thought it was the comet that did the destruction. Well, that was much later. So there's been half a dozen major uh, extinction events. So the earliest life, according to a, an article I just pulled up on Wikipedia, was um, yeah, the earliest life appeared a while before the first oxygen appeared when photosynthesis began then towards the end of that period there was a, the oxygen crisis wiped out most of the life on earth and then left a space for the surviving life to evolve into eukaryotes yeah. so that's hundreds and hundreds of billions of years ago or several billion years ago which is a lot longer than the dinosaurs dinosaurs died out 65 million years ago yeah. like there's a really great graph here actually for um i'll throw in the uh i'll throw it in the show notes there but the it shows in like with different size blocks how long each phase of evolution took and once you get to the cambrian explosion which is when a huge amount of life started appearing you go from arthropods through to modern Earth in hundreds of millions of years. Before that, everything took billions and billions of years. Hmm. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this will, uh, this, uh, this whole, this also, this seaweed will also tell us more about the oxygen cycle as well. Uh, more and think about it as well. Possibly. Yeah, yeah. It would be interesting to find out if we could modify cyanobacteria, which does still exist. There's places you can go and see cyanobacteria. Uh, in the northwest of Western Australia, there's actually um, uh, the bungle bungles. It is a range of rock outcrops which have distinctive stripes in them from different growths of cyanobacteria. Because the cyanobacteria lays down a, uh, uh, forms a rock, basically. I don't remember what kind of rock it is. And you can find stromatolites, which are spherical balls formed by cyanobacteria. Each layer deposits slightly more rock structure. A bit like a coral reef, but it grows out into a sphere. Okay. You mean the uh, pistolites? No. Stromatolites. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, the layers between... I've got a, a link for you here. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. yeah, and they have the photo of the area I was thinking of, Shark Bay in WA. Yep. And the thing is, stromatolites grow very slowly. So you can see there, um, hundreds of years ago, people would cart supplies across the uh, across the flats there to get to the ships. And you can see the um, ruts dug into the rock by the, the cart. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. So... Um, so this won't really change much in terms of oh this this huge discovery will might alter the whole the might rock the scientific community like you know how you get like big discoveries like um, cloning and other stuff no. and um, the black hole I don't discovery. Think it will rock anything. It won't rock anything. No, it yes. will not rock you like a hurricane, no matter <laughs> where you are. <laughs> what it will do is push back the understanding of green seaweed by 200 million years in yeah. the timeline. Yeah, that's true. Which is important for evolutionary science. Yeah. Because you can learn a lot about the development of life by knowing when particular mm. types of life live. Yeah. yeah. 
I think this is a this will be a new for area of study to look into as well in the near in the near future. Yeah, I hope they keep exploring uh, Dalian because they might find some other fossils from that era. So, uh, final thoughts before we move on? Uh, no, I don't have anything else to say. I think I've said quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a pretty profound speech. We just went all silent in the end. Well, I I had to get a drink because I've been speaking too much. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I thought we just went all profound. It was like food for thought. <laughs> well, I had to give you time to digest. Yeah, that was it was pretty interesting. Yeah, I agree with you there. So anyway, uh, next topic is the uh, I like the pun you've got here about Activision's modern warfare tactic. <laughs> so uh, Activision has decided to issue DMCA takedowns for um, dealing with a leaked Battle Royale mode from the new uh, Call of Duty game, which um, absolutely nothing should be released about it, but they can't stop people from glitching into the lobby because they can't figure out their net code or something. <laughs> but you'd think they'd not include it in a public release build if it's... Not finished yet. <laughs> ah, but it's so stupid though. Activision going like, okay, we're gonna subpoena, en- we're gonna subpoena everyone. Then <laughs> it feels like a Spartacus moment. Well, yeah, they're accusing the um, Reddit user Assyrian two four one zero who published the first leak. They're actually going to subpoena the um, Reddit to find out who they are. <laughs> Because they, I suppose they're trying to make sure that nothing is breaking an NDA. I just think it's pretty dumb that they're trying to, like, they're throwing everything at this guy when they can't even stop people from glitching in with no <laughs> no special effort on their part at all. They just randomly end up in a war zone lobby. What's interesting is how um, Activision is pursuing this form of action because, like, no, like normally when it comes to leaks and stuff, it, like, companies would just go, eh, it's a leak, okay, yeah, we won't do anything about it, we won't chase, we won't chase up the people. And you've got Activision, who's just now just doing, all right, we're going to go and do something which might be, um, which might morally sound a bit ambiguous. Yeah. <laughs> and which, it's against human rights. <laughs> well, that's interesting angle to take there. But um, what's also interesting will be to find out what data Reddit keeps on you. I have no reason to think Reddit doesn't keep every post you've ever made. I don't know, man. I mean, companies like Reddit and Twitter and Facebook and stuff, they have databases of all the information, all yeah. your past fa- information, man. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so much data, but I would not be surprised if they actually have um, enough data to track this guy down, find out where he's posting from. It's not clear whether, like, Assyrian claimed that he was given up by an inside source. So it's not clear whether Assyrian is actually an um, Activision employee or if someone leaked it to him. But it's possible they, if they get his IP, they can track Assyrian to, say, one of their offices and then they know their leaker is an inside job. Hmm. But it could be uh, it could be an inside job, like in terms of yeah, we planned this whole thing. We're gonna use the we're gonna use the it, oh no, actually no. It reminds me of iPhone. Remember how they have the whole oh someone left this iPhone in the pub. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking more like that kind of way. Yeah, it could be a marketing strategy. Yeah, but with this DMC, it does it, it does set a very dangerous DMCA. dangerous precedent. Oh, yeah, this DMCA. There, there's a very big difference between DMCA and 
PMC. One <laughs> makes cars, the other takes down copyrighted information on the internet. <laughs> and then that's different to a run DMC. <laughs> which ones I link to hurry up. But yeah, this um DMCA it just sets a dangerous precedent. Like you can't you can't post anything anymore on the internet. Yeah, it's um interesting to see if there will be any sort of chilling effect on video game leakers. But uh then again, so many companies don't seem to want to handle with leaking and keeping secrets anyway like so these people are glitching into the warzone lobby uh the bbc goes out and tells people exactly what the twist in doctor who was going to play just this season alone bbc america has a trailer which plays during the first episode during an ad break giving away all of the plot twists of this season <laughs> A few years ago, when Gallifrey returned, they put in the uh, blurb in the TV guide, the Doctor returns to Gallifrey. (laughs) (laughs) And they got John Sim back for the absolutely massive John Sim is back twist. They put him in the first trailer. (laughs) And was about it before the trailer even came out. Oh man! Ah, oh, this is the problem. Like, this—it's a very—it's da- a very interesting conundrum, isn't it? Like, you—you—you you, you, you don't want to reveal. It's like show but no tell. Yeah, when it comes to advertising, it's hard to know what to put out there. Yeah. But then when it comes to leaking, like, did somebody hack Activision to leak this? Did an employee under NDA release it? So there are legal things that could be involved if. Somebody under NDA released these um, images. That's very clearly a breach of the NDA. But is Assyrian? Like, the NDA is intransitive as far as I know. So, like, Assyrians never signed any NDA as far as I know, assuming Assyrian is a third party. So should Activision be able to subpoena Assyrian and find out who Assyrian is without evidence that a Syrian is their employee with the NDA. I've said the yeah. word Syrian a lot there. Yeah. This ca- this uh, this case also reminds me of um I don't know whether you're familiar with this case when um CNN um I think they I think they went after Reddit or um someone else but um some other company to reveal the information of the guy who was posting a Trump meme. Uh, sorry, who requested it, that info? What's up? Who requ- who requested that info? CNN. Oh, why did they want the info of someone posting memes? I know because um, from what I've yeah they they were trying to because the the meme was deemed offensive or something like that. Okay. So yeah, so what happened was I'm gonna find it pretty interesting because they were going after Reddit or some some something else, but it was very it was very dodgy. But yeah, yeah. the point the point being is that. Yeah, as I think we've basically repeated, like it's a it sets a very dangerous precedent. Like you're, you're just sabotaging human rights just to save just to save a product. Yeah, so it will be interesting to see whether Reddit complies. I in t- in terms of Reddit, whether Reddit will comply, I think image wise, I think they will re- they will have to comply. Like yeah. just to save face, they'll say, "Ah, oh, we'll 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 comply." Well, it's not like Reddit's some bastion of free speech. <laughs> that's all like you can post whatever we won't ever ban you like for better or for worse they ban a lot of people and a lot of topics mm-hmm. but um yeah it's interesting to find out whether activision has any right to go after assyrian without having evidence that assyrian is an insider yeah yeah 
That's true. So moving on, uh, what do you have to talk about tonight, DJ? Um, I have. So while I the world was great, my voice is getting scratchy. <laughs> That's true. So while the world was going in shock and horror mode when Bob Iger stood down from Disney, <laughs> thin margins. Um, the world was looking forward to saw an, saw an interesting trailer for a new Transformers anime series. Yes, a new Transformers anime series. How how interesting. So everyone run, protect your childhoods. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know, I know. It's gonna be so bad. So Rooster Teeth, um, it's along with Polygon Pictures, the the studio behind the Godzilla anime trilogy. Um, I will be will be um making this show. And this trilogy will be six episodes, which is 20 minutes or longer for each batch. Uh, Netflix debuted the first trailer for the first release in the trilogy, which is called Siege. And uh, so it's it's- a, oh, it's a three-part series, the first part consisting of six episodes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the interesting thing is it's called The Fall of Cybertron. And even though it is, even though it's called The Fall of Cybertron, it is not really, this whole series, it's not related to the game. It's called The Fall of Cybertron. Okay. So, so with the cast list, by the way, um, the people that were voicing Optimus Prime and Megatron, um, so no Peter Cullen and no Frank Welker. Is that bad? Yes, because they're the, they're the, Prime voices. They're the voices for Optimus Prime and, uh, and uh, Megatron. I mean, no Peter Cullen? That's like <laughs> no no Joker for Mark no Mark Hamill for Joker. Okay, but the good news is no Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Not that I'm sure that you'd want to get into a recording booth with an actual cannibal. Oh, oh don't get me started on that one. But, um, I know, yeah. did you believe he was out in the forest hunting and eating? I thought he was... <laughs> I wouldn't believe that, actually. Have you not heard the survivor's testimony? No, I haven't heard that one. <laughs> About being hunted by Sheila Booth, who was an actual cannibal. Nope. Where have you been for the last 10 years? Uh, somewhere. <laughs> It's but, only like the second biggest meme about Shia LaBeouf after the one that he's a shitty actor. I thought the second biggest meme was his um he, he will not divide us the the art project or well, so called art project. Oh, which is- that. look, I don't <laughs> care about the politics behind that. I just love the uh, capture the flag game, and I would love someone to do that as a <laughs> weekly thing. Yeah, yeah. That that's the one. The, the he will not divide us was a capture the flag thing. Yeah, entirely accidentally. <laughs> because he was like, I'm going to fly this flag during the Trump presidency because Trump will not divide us. And then Trump supporters were like, we're going to take down that flag. <laughs> and the level of dedication, like whatever side you're on, the level of dedication to finding that flag is astounding. Yeah. <laughs> Never underestimate 4chan. <laughs> yeah, so it's the, uh, the old catchphrase, weaponized autism. <laughs> Anyway, so the voice cast for the person playing as uh, Megatron first up, he his name is Jason Manocha, and he was a uh, he's a Transformers alumni actor. He was in Transformers Combiner Wars, which is a pretty recent series. And the man who plays as Optimus Prime, his name is Jake Faustsheet. So and he was also in Ch- Transformers Cyberverse as Optimus Prime. 
But yeah, there are a couple of other voice actors that have been in a couple of Transformers series. But uh, two of the two of the voice actors that are interesting is uh, Todd Habercon. He's a very 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 famous um, voice actor. He was in um, Drake. He was in Fairy Tale as uh, Natsu and Attack on Titan as Marlon Marlo Freudenberg, um, amongst others. And Miles Luna of Rooster Teeth fame, he's going to be voicing as Cliff Jumper. No, I don't know any of these names. Yeah, but uh, Miles from, Luna, he Miles yeah. Luna was a Red versus Blue um, rider. Yeah, and I don't know why anyone is holding out a huge amount of hope for this because <laughs> Rooster Teeth's uh, original anime hasn't been too great recently. Genlock was a flop. Yeah, <laughs> Ruby is has its fan base, but I never really got into it. Um, I don't know if they've done anything else, but oh, uh, they've got they've done a couple of other series. They did Camp Camp, um, oh, yeah. which is which Camp is still Camp. going. Uh, Camp Camp's great. Yeah, yeah they've uh, got they, a couple of good stuff and things, but um, yeah, they uh, did a, that they, big budget stuff has been a flop. Yeah, yeah. Um, they did Nomad for Nowhere, but that got cancelled. Yeah, as well. But um, the plot for this series is very interesting, which is basically... Uh, so Siege is the first new entry of the trilogy, um, begins in the final hours of the devastating civil war between the Autobots and Decepticons. The war has torn apart their home planet Cybertron, is at a, it's at a tipping point. Two leaders, Optimus Prime and Megatron, both want to save their world and unify their people, but only on their own terms. And um, it, the, the synopsis also reveals that uh, in an attempt to end the conflict, Megatron is forced to consider using the AllSpark, the source of all life and power of, on Cybertron, to reformat the Autobots, thus unifying Cybertron. Outnumbered and outgunned and under siege, the battle-weary Autobots orchestrate a desperate series of counter-strikes on a mission that, if anything somehow goes right, will end with an unthinkable choice kill their planet in order to save it. Okay, so he wants to reboot the Autobots, but um, are they all Autobots? And it's just that the bad guys took the name Decepticon? Well, yeah, the the um, yeah, the bad guys rebelled, basically, and they call themselves the Decepticons. Yeah, that's oh, okay. the story. So by rebooting the Autobots, does that include all of the Transformers? I think not. I think not. So he's just rebooting his own guys, and that's going to unify yeah. Oh no, sorry. Megatron is doing that. I had a bit of a moment there. <laughs> yeah, but this, like, the whole Transformers thing, like, oh, it's a war on Cybertron. It's a, it's a long, it's like the Terminator War, you know? Like every every Terminator movie, they show the same war on mankind. Skynet versus humanity. It's like it's it, it's this ongoing war. It never ends. To be fair, it can't ever end in Terminator because time travel. <laughs> now, in um, Transformers doesn't have time travel, at least not on the scale of the um, Terminator series. But here's the important problem. Cybertron isn't created by humans, is it? No. Nah. So why the hell do the robots look like human cars? <laughs> They're alien robots from an alien planet built by aliens who have never been to Earth, and they look like human cars. <laughs> Transformers makes no sense. <laughs> oh, and I, I take it you want to blame Michael Bay for this, aren't you? No, because Michael Bay explained it. <laughs> At the beginning of the 
Transformers reboot. When Optimus Prime lands on Earth, he scans a truck going past and then turns into it. But I don't believe that's in the... Uh, in. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. In the original series. Yeah. Although it's interesting how in, in the trailer, it's all like G1 characters as well. It's it's all G1 at, like um, Transformers robots, so... Well, that's yeah. the one that people have a, a thing for. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. This is, this, is very, this is a very, very interesting concept. So that it's like, so we've got a trilogy and then we might get um, a TV series as well. But this is a trilogy consisting of three parts of about six episodes. Yeah. I assume each episode is going to be six episodes, but um, only the first part's confirmed now, so... Yeah. So there's arc one, which is the siege, and the second arc is basically Earthrise. And here's the funny one. They, I think the plot's also been revealed for that one. It says... The Transformers leave Cybertron in... No, well, well, don't spoil it for me. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so, right. so the planet Cybertron was created by Primus, who is some sort of robot god. Yeah. Along with Unicron is another robot. So they're not humans. Why do <laughs> the Transformers look like human cars? <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> I don't know, because technology, <laughs> you're really are curious about this. <sighs> so are you well, interested in watching? Your hmm? science fiction universe has to make sense. <laughs> but this is, wait, 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 wait. Even though it's science fiction, it's anime as well. <laughs> and you know, the, you know, some of the rules, one of the rules of anime, it never has to make any sense. Okay, so... I've actually found a Stack Exchange answer on this. <laughs> this ought to be interesting. Yep. So they say in the first episode, you see Bumblebee and another Autobot transform into alien vehicles. Then after they crash on Earth, they're deactivated for the 80s. And the first thing that happens is they enable the camouflage protocols and turn into Earth vehicles. Yeah. Yeah, which is true. But in this trailer, it's basically set after <laughs> it's set during like during the war they haven't even yeah. crashed into the earth yeah. before so optimus prime can't look like a, a truck because <laughs> he's never been to earth because they don't come to earth until cybertron's destroyed do they oh well, in the midst of the conflict yeah but yeah yeah i, I, I get where you're coming from yeah yeah. Well, they probably haven't been to Earth at this point. Yeah. But I hate this whole, like, yeah, we have to save Cybertron. Every every Transformers, every Transformers series, it's always save Cybertron, save Cybertron, save Cybertron. Yeah, in, the, yeah, in some of them, it's basically, yeah, we, we've destroyed it. <laughs> we've dis- every, every, every Transformers series, we've destroyed Cybertron. Only a handful of series have managed to save it. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, don't get me started on uh, the Doctor and Gallifrey. <laughs> they have that same problem, don't they? 
Yep. <laughs> it was uh, destroyed in 2005, drew it back in 2013, <laughs> destroyed again in, like, what's it now? Well, sometime, and revealed to be destroyed this year. Can you imagine the? Can you imagine a crossover between Transformers and Doctor Who? I would not be surprised if that hasn't been a thing yet, because... I mean, there's Doctor Who and Marvel crossovers, I think. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm just thinking of Doctor Who and Star Trek, which itself has a crossover with Marvel. It's comics are complicated things. Yeah. I see fan fictions, but not a comic thing. So, yeah, maybe some someone, some lucky soul will make it. Uh, okay, so Vector Prime watches Doctor Who. <laughs> the UK Marvel Generation 1 comic features Optus who has a Dalek alt mode. <laughs> and the 2017 Transformers Annual has a Transformer based on K9. <sighs> so anyways, um, we're kind of um, coming off topic here. So you guys will, wa- you will watch it? No, probably not. Not a, fa- not a fan of the Transformers series franchise, eh? Uh, no, not really into Transformers because it makes no sense. <laughs> hey, I could say the same with Doctor Who as well because it makes no sense. But Doctor Who has an excuse for making no sense. And that excuse is Chris Chibnall. <laughs> I've got one episode left this season for Chibnall to enact the, ca- the caramel marzipan. <laughs> Chibnall is going full caramel master plan. By the time this episode is out, the episode will be. Somebody come and yell at me if I was wrong. <laughs> oh god! Yeah, I'm. I'm interested because this is it's Rooster Teeth, and their recent stuff has been going going interestingly, going interestingly. So taking on this this project is a very Herculean effort. So I want to see where this goes. So yeah, 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 yeah. It'll be interesting if it gets rebooted again. <laughs> I mean, we've only had half a dozen Transformers reboots. Uh, the only good series from Transformers is Transformers Prime, and yeah, that's the good one so far. Okay. So far. I actually prefer uh, Rooster Teeth's live stuff. I yeah. really like Haunter. Mm, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, what have you been playing this week? I've been playing an interesting MOBA on console called Genesis. What's it about? What's the plot? Um, it's set in the future, and it's um, you you're in an island, or not island, on a planet, basically, and you have to um find various new species. And where's the proof that this isn't actually this is actually in the future, and not a reference to the biblical Genesis, which itself was set on a planet and involved the naming of the species. Because <laughs> of the character designs and all. Is it good? It's interesting. It's it, it has a... It reminds me of League of Legends. Well, that's kind of a foregone saying, because it's a MOBA, isn't it? Yeah, it is a MOBA. Although it's, it, it's not like um, Dota 2 MOBA, but it has... But it, it works in the same mechanic as League of Legends, so... Yeah. Okay. Um, I see. You're, you're robots, so I assume that I suppose that does have to rule out that it's ancient Earth. Yeah. But nowhere in the Bible does it say Adam wasn't a robot. <laughs> um, with the game as well, like you get in, you get the in-game currency as well in terms of um gold, in terms of elements to create new tools. Um. Okay, that's legitimately just Rocket Raccoon. He's an actual <laughs> raccoon with a gun. 
Um, Anime Girl, uh, Fire Demon, Bad Guy from Mad Max, another Anime Girl with a big sword, Cyborg Slug, more Anime Girls, some sort of... Gigantic Scorpion? person. Yeah, there's a gigantic scorpion. (laughs) Zeus, more Anime Girls. Another anime girl? This one in a uh, skin tight, skimpy outfit. Yeah, there are a lot of of heroes in this one. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of heroes, and yeah. And half of them are Greek gods, the other half are anime girls. (laughs) Oh, and there's also Nameless as well, that's a samurai. Not a god, but. Yeah, Uh, we've got a mutant eel cyborg dinosaur thing. What's his name? Jules. Ah, yeah. Yeah. More Jules, anime girls. Actually, Jules reminds me of um I know you know Rick and Morty that episode where um they where Rick forced everyone to play a game like the game Saw and there's uh, yeah. the, the crocodilian. Yeah, as oh, a crocoraptor or oh, te- some technological crocodile. Crocoraptor or something. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we've got a fat geek with a big gun. We've got Mario Kart. Yeah. Guy in a hover wheelchair. <laughs> Anyways, um, the biggest flaw for the game, I would say, is the trying to find a game on this uh, on this one. You, is this the one we spoke about last week when um, where you said you waited hours and didn't get a game? No, that's a different one. That's oh. Switchblade. Ah. Switchblade's a oh, that's a terrible game. <laughs> oh. How can you say it's terrible if you never played it because no one logged in? Yeah, that's why because <laughs> it's so <laughs> horrible. It could be the best game on earth, and you would never know. No one has played it. Uh, anyways, um, so for this game, I would give this one 3.5 out of, out of 5 nerdy beanies. Okay. Right. I've been playing Kingdom, which is a game about being a king and investing in your economy. Because if you don't invest in your economy and buy bows and stuff, monsters will come and steal your crown, and then you lose. <laughs> so basically uh so basically uncle ben basically saying with great power comes great responsibility yeah you're responsible for all of these people and making sure that they don't get kidnapped by monsters <laughs> although to be fair like being kidnapped by monsters right, the only reason the monsters come after them is because you recruit them everyone's perfectly fine living in tents in the forest the monsters leave them alone it's not until you pay them and they move into your kingdom that the monsters start to hunt them. What monsters do you encounter? Uh, there's these humanoid things called... Oh, the monsters are called the Greed because they like to steal your coins and items. But um, the... So the monster, the sorry, the basic greed like to run in, tackle and steal, uh, steal their stuff. The breeders are basically giant versions of that throw rocks at you, knock down your walls and spawn more basic monsters. And then there's floaties who like to swoop in and kidnap you. (laughs) And there's presumably more in the sequel, but I haven't actually got the sequel. Actually, I might, but um, I want to play the original first. Yeah. Yeah, I I have the sequel. I'm not sure if that was a free giveaway because I had the original or because um, I I bought it on sale or something. So what's the economy like on, on this game? Uh, it takes a bit of learning to get good at it because it costs you a few coins to do everything. And each morning you get taxes from your villagers. But if you upgrade your base too much, 
you get less taxes. Presumably, it's going to um, to maintenance or something. But eventually, you can run out of money if you don't put money into setting up farms. Okay. And it can get a bit stressful sometimes. Um, the AI for the civilians isn't the greatest, so and the greed are faster than the civilians. So even if they do run away, they can't get back behind the walls for the greed catch them. Ah, okay. But the, the goal is to upgrade your base, recruit archers and knights, and then send them out to take out the portals that spawn the greed. How many waves do you have to survive as a catalyst? Or? Yeah, it's endless. Ah, okay. Until you destroy the portals, they don't stop coming. And uh, what other units besides archers and knights uh, do you have to... Uh, in this version, just uh, archers, knights, farmers, and builders. And the builders can use catapults. Nice. I mean, I think it's a lot of fun. I probably, if I was going to recommend it, I'd recommend the sequel version. The sort of it's got a sort of expansion pack and adds a bunch of new content. But um, yeah, there's uh, two new games actually. There's new lands which I have and two crowns which I don't. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'd recommend getting either new lands or two crowns. Okay. So the um, so the biggest flaw for you is the AI. Yeah. Other than that, it's fairly simple, but it's um, and it goes a bit slowly sometimes. I would wouldn't mind having a fast forward button, um, but. It um it holds up well for being so stripped down compared to the sequel. Yeah, are there any other modes besides um single pl- besides uh, story mode? No, there's just that in the original. Okay. Two crowns adds a co-op mode. Okay. So, how many nerdy beanies would you give this game out of? Uh, I'd give it three out of five. Nice. It's a very competent game, but it is um a bit rough around the edges in places. And, uh, like, I've had cases where my units walk outside the wall and then refuse to come back inside at night. So then the monsters, like, just builders and stuff. So they have no defense at all. The monsters will just come, nick their stuff, and it costs me an extra, like, four coins to pick up a new villager and kit them out. Mm -hmm. But I think it's otherwise a a very competent game, such a a simple idea. Now onto the shout-outs. On the 22nd of February year, Bill Hatfield became the oldest person to sail solo stop around the world at 81. It took him eight months and he sailed into the Gold Coast on his 38-foot Leo Commotion. The fisherman from Bundaberg said he'd been dreaming of this achievement since he was seven years old and his daily diet was a tin of beans, a third of a tin of beans, a tin of tuna, 100 grams of rice and flour and oats, and 150 grams of milk powder. And he sailed west, which is harder because in the southern hemisphere, the winds go west to east. Hmm. On the 22nd of February, Mad Mike Hughes passed away. This guy is a bit of a, a bit on the nuts side in a fun way. <laughs> he built homemade rockets, though unfortunately his latest rocket had a bit of an issue and the parachute failed at takeoff, which meant that he had no way to come back down. <laughs> and... Uh, he passed away after falling from 600 meters in his rocket. He um, had a bit of a thing going with the Flat Earth community where he made claims that he was putting his to prove that the Earth was flat, which I think <laughs> was a bit of a, a con because like, there's better ways to do it if you just the Earth's flat. But, you know, he I guess he died doing what he loved. <laughs> he died at sixty-four. Yeah, he died. He he, he died un- while understanding Newton's third law. Oh, I mean, I'm genuinely impressed. With it. 
and I hope that the flat earther pointing that someone with that drive and intelligence was um, a flat earther. Mm. On the 24th of February, Catherine Johnson, one of the first black um, NASA technicians, she was a mathematician who calculated mechanics and was critical to success of the Apollo missions and earlier space flights, actually, just seen. Um, yeah, so she calculated paths for Project Mercury, um, the Apollo lunar lander and flights. She also worked on the space shuttle and plans for a Mars mission. She died at 101 at a retirement. There weren't a lot of um, black scientists at NASA at the time, and there's a movie about them called Hidden Figures, which I'm told is pretty decent. It, uh, I saw an article saying it takes a few liberties how racism is presented because Catherine Johnson said that she herself didn't face a lot of it, but the other scientists did. But um, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's still a good movie and it's worth checking out. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there's a story about... Uh, scientists. Uh, I think it might have been John Glenn wanted her to double check the computer calculations for the flight because he didn't trust the computer to do it right. And on the 25th, Kazuhisa Hashimoto passed away. He was famous for creating the Konami code, the NES version of Gradius in 1986. He added the cheats so that he could um, cheat his way through the game and test the later levels knowing that he would be unable to play it. He'd intended to remove the code, but back in those days and still today, a lot of things get left in games because you're not 100% sure nothing will break if you take it out. Even more back then when memory was a hugely complicated thing. So now the Konami code ends up everywhere because it's so famous. Have you ever heard, uh, encountered any game which has that Konami code other than the Konami game? Uh, not off the top of my head. I've seen it as a reference in, actually, I think I've seen it in a game as a reference. But um, yes, in case anyone doesn't know, the famous version of the code is up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B. I always thought there was a uh, start and a select at the end there, but maybe that's your <laughs> version of it. And on the 27th of February, 1880, Alexander Borodin passed away. He was a Russian chemist and musical, romantic musical composer, composer of Georgian ancestry. Ah, my words are not working right now. <laughs> so, Borodin was a doctor and chemist by profession. He made important contributions to organic chemistry and was a part of a group of 19th century composers known as Han, who wanted to produce a uniquely Russian kind of classical music. He died at 54 in St. Peter. And on the 27th of February, 1906, Name that rings a bell, Ivan Pavlov, the Russian physiologist famous for um, his work in classical conditioning, with the most famous anecdote being the one where he trained his dogs to salivate at the sound of a bell. He um, died at 86 in Leningrad. And on the 27th of February, 1980, George Tobias, the American film and television actor, whose most famous role was uh, Abner Kravitz in the sitcom Bewitched. He's the, um, for those not familiar with Bewitched, um... He's the ignorant house um, house husband of the nosy nosy neighbor. When um, my wife would always see something um, something crazy happen in the house, she would go, "Abner, Abner, check it out!" Like, no, oh, whatever, darling. <laughs> so he died at seventy eight in Angeles, and on two famous birthdays on the twenty seventh of February, Constantine the Great, the Constantine the First, was a Roman emperor. I mean, 
AD 306 and 337. He reorganized the Roman army, he produced a new type of gold coin, and led campaigns against the Franks, the Alemanni, the Goths, the Samaritans, and recaptured territories abandoned during the crisis of the 3rd century. And he was the first Roman emperor to convert to Christianity, which, considering that, um, is a huge, huge part of the impact of religion on the West. I like Christianity was popular, but he really um, brought it in when he became favored. He uh, promoted it. I sometimes wonder like, what the world would be if he'd chosen a different um, religion or if he'd kept Greek, sorry, the Roman religion. <laughs> It'd be, it'd be, it will be fun just worshipping Zeus all day and say, oh, Zeus, give us more lightning. I mean, I saw lightning today. I haven't seen Jesus in a while. <laughs> be like, I, I bet you we'll see, we'll see um, the Bible being uh, be, being a, a comic book of sorts and be like, eh, Bible? What's the Bible? <laughs> I mean, Good Omens is basically um, the Bible, but comic book even though it's a book it's kind of like how um how marvel ripped off all the greek and nordic religions for their characters yeah it is interesting though the relation between the religions odin and thor and zeus and everyone who had control of lightning must have been a pretty powerful impact on the local people for that to happen mm. um constantine is also famous for the um, city Constantinople after himself. Now, the problem being, it's no longer known as Constantinople. It's Istanbul or Constantinople. <laughs> and on the 27th of February, 18th, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, the American poet and educator whose works in Paul Revere's Ride, Song of Hiawatha, and Evangelist. He was the first American to translate Dante Alexander was one of the fireside poets from New England. Now, um, being the first American to translate the Divine Comedy, what accent do you reckon uh, his version of Dante would speak with? <laughs> like, he'll be like, howdy, partner. We're going to hell. <laughs> I won't do that again. Don't worry. <laughs> I was thinking more like he, he would have like a Boston accent. <laughs> <laughs> or just, or just have yeah. a New York, or just have a New York gangster accent, like "Hey, hey, hey, hey boss!" <laughs> Dante nearly gets run over in hell. And he, hey, I'm walking here. <laughs> yes, my Boston accent sucks. <laughs> On the 27th of February, 18, Alice Hamilton, the American physician research scientist, her scientific research focused on the spatial illnesses and the dangerous effects of industrial metals and chemicals. Her best-known research was studying carbon monoxide poisoning, mercury poisoning, and a hand condition developed by workers using jackass, which that's uh, some pretty impressive stuff because those are three pretty major issues in occupational health and safety. Yeah. Not that uh, hatters use mercury anymore, as far as I know, but carbon monoxide, mercury, and vibrations are all pretty nasty. Mm. She was born in Manhattan, and for the events of interest, on the 27th of February, 1980, the day that where at first I was petrified. <laughs> I was afraid I was petrified. <laughs> I Will Survive won the first and last Grammy for Best Disco Recording. So right at the end of disco, <laughs> I Will Survive finally won a Grammy for disco. And then afterwards, it didn't survive. <laughs> It held on just long enough to get that Grammy. <laughs> and on the 27th of February, 
Tech Lab ad. Tech Lab was one of the telefilms launching William Shatner's Tech War sci-fi series. The plot summary is, the actual sword of Excalibur has been stolen in and futuristic detectives Jake Cardigan and Sid Gomez are assigned to track it down and find out who is trying to block the British rain from his rifle air. Why does this? Why does that plot remind me of Johnny English all of a sudden? You know what? That is a very Johnny English plot. Yeah. <laughs> Although I wonder if the tech lab included the whole concept of turning London into a gigantic prison. Um, no, that's just what the colonies wish they could do. <laughs> and it wasn't just London, wasn't it? All of England. Yeah, yeah. Actually, wasn't he going to build a wall around? No, that, that's, that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to ch- turn England into a gigantic prison. Yeah, I just, I don't know if it's a misremembering or not, but it isn't part of the uh, evil villain speech that he's going to build a wall around um, England. Yeah, yeah, it was. Johnny English could have stopped Trump. <laughs> if he did, that would be the funniest thing. That would be the funniest thing we've ever saw. I would pay 10 bucks to go and see a movie of Rowan Atkinson beating up politicians. <laughs> I mean, don't just stop Donald Trump. Get all of them in there. Trump, <laughs> Putin, whoever they have in England now. Boris. <laughs> Boris Johnson. <laughs> yeah. And on the 27th of February, 2004, Shoko Azahara, the leader of the Japanese doomsday cult on... Orm Shinriku is sentenced to death for the 1995 Tokyo subway sarin attack. Now, he was sentenced to death by hanging in 2004, but um, there, uh, oh, he wasn't executed until 2018, along with 12 other cultists. Now, apparently there are still 2,100 members of themselves Aleph. They, uh, they've renounced their violent past, but there's some interesting stories about them, apart from the Saren, they actually had a farm in Australia where they did practice for this sort of stuff. Are you serious? Yeah. Banjawan Station in WA. <laughs> it's, um, they owned it and I believe that they would practice for like producing chemicals and stuff there. And there's also a um, bit of an urban legend that they built a nuclear bomb there because there was a large seismic disturbance in 1993, which um, happened around the area. The witnesses report seeing a fireball in the sky and a low-frequency sound. So it's probably something like an asteroid, but, you know, a bit of an urban legend that they were building nuclear bombs there. Their leader is a very, very interesting figure. Yeah, it's uh, an interesting story. I uh, wouldn't call him interesting. I wouldn't want to hang out with him. Although it, it, it's interesting, um, I was watching a video related to him, and apparently it got the group got so popular they even made an anime series about him. Oh, wow! <laughs> I'm like, wow, the eighties must have been a really wicked decade for that to happen. The less said about the eighties, the better. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Anyway, that's uh, all we have for this week. DJ, where can they find us? Uh, they can find us on Facebook. They can find us on Instagram, Twitter, um, iTunes, Stitcher. And, and uh, that's our Canon um, website. And there's a new That's Not Canon podcast, Scared Shitless. <laughs> the, the, come on. Are you serious? That's, that's Yeah. The- <laughs> it's a podcast for true horror stories. 
Ooh. by someone who is terrified of true horror. It's um, a bit of fun. It's uh, all about weird things that happen. So I've got an episode about Eliza Lamb who at face value is a fairly horrifying topic. People think that she was possessed or drugged or something. I reckon she just was off her meds and having a mental breakdown. It's a whole topic. Mm-hmm. But they have one about the uh, the girls who stabbed each like stabbed another girl because Slender Man told them to. Oh yeah. It's um a fun podcast. They've only got a handful of episodes, but check them out. But uh, that's all we have, so take care of yourself, stay hydrated if you're near an outbreak of uh, coronavirus, stay safe. (laughs) See you guys. See you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.